We start a brand new series today called Chain Breaker. And uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we will be for the next five weeks or six weeks. I can't really remember exactly how long this series is, but I will say this. You don't want to miss a single week of this series. So from now until the end of May, we're going to be in this series called Chain Breaker. And we're just going to be in Romans chapter 8. And so we're going to spend uh, the next month in just this one chapter of the Bible because it's so rich and it really helps uh, set a trajectory for us uh, as believers and even as uh, unbelievers to give us an opportunity to be able to see what it means to be set free, to be able to be broken free of the chains that can hold us back, that can drag us down, that can keep us from being everything that God has called us to be. And so we'll get to Romans chapter 8 here in just a few minutes. Uh, but let, me, let me start like this. Let me ask you this question. Um, and, and just you don't have to answer this out loud, but just think about it. And think about your own answer to this question. But where does sin come from? Where does sin come from? Like, like in your mind, in your belief, what, what is your belief about sin? Are we, are we born sinners? Are we taught to be sinners? Or is, is sin just something that, that God just, you know, made up and, and preachers started throwing out there so that, you know, God the cosmic cop would be able to have something to catch you on, right? Like, so, so what is it, what, what is sin? What is your belief about sin? Sin is a, it's actually an archery term. It's an archery term, and, and, and this means that as an archery term, it, it says that, that you've missed your mark. And so when we talk about sin, we're talking about missing a mark. And the mark, according to what we read in Scripture, is righteousness before God, or in other words, to be called blameless and holy before God. So when we say that you are a sinner, or I'm a sinner, or that we have sin, what we're saying is that we have missed the mark that God has set before us that says, this is what righteousness looks like, this is what blamelessness looks like, or this is what perfection is. And when we miss that mark, that makes us what? Sinners. Right. It makes us sinners. Now, now here's the thing about that. Every single one of us in this room Myself especially, I don't know about you, I'm not going to put that on you, but I'll put it on me. Myself especially, I know this about myself, that I am a four-year-old little girl shooting a compound bow made for an adult when it comes to hitting the mark. Does that make sense to any of you? Any hunters in the room? Anybody ever shoot a compound bow? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, so I'm like a, I'm like a JV water boy. When it comes to shooting a compound bow, I'm not getting anywhere close to the mark. I'm not getting anywhere close to it. I'm going to sin. In other words, I'm going to miss that mark. And the truth about all of us is, is that every single one of us are, are there as well. So how many of us are going to own up to perfection? How many of us are going to say, you know what? Not me. I got it. I'm in, man. Perfect. Right here. Ding. Ding, you know, all right, sorry, I had to do that, I was looking for the perfect time to be able to put that up there, but like, but so like, how many of us are going to actually own up to that and say, perfection, I got it, I don't think any of us are going to, 
And so if sin is an archery term when it comes to, to hitting the mark, if we're missing the mark, then that means that every one of us would be considered sinners because none of us are perfect. None of us are hitting that mark. None of us are going to make it into the blameless category. None of us are going to make it into the holy category. And so, if that still doesn't convince you and you don't believe me, let's, let's do this. I contend that, that every one of us are, are born sinners. We're born sinners. The scripture lays out for us and, and shows us that, that we are born sinners. My daughter, who is about to turn three years old, she, uh, just this past week, you know, we got all of these Easter eggs from the five million Easter egg hunts that we did over the past three weeks, right? And so, if you've got kids, you've probably got them too. We got all these empty Easter eggs, and, and she doesn't want to do anything with them, but, but keep them in her Easter basket. Like, she doesn't want to get rid of them. You know, as parents, we want to take them and toss them, but, you know, she's getting them and, and keeping them right, so she's keeping them in this Easter basket. Well, the other day, she was in the living room, and my son was back in his bedroom playing a game or something, and she was in there, and it was just the three of us in the house, and, and she takes her Easter basket full of like 5,000 Easter eggs, and spreads them all over the house. She's doing like her own little mini Easter egg hunt, except she's not hiding them anywhere. You know what I mean? They're just like all over the living room. It's like the Easter bunny just exploded in our living room, right? And the Easter eggs went everywhere. And so there's all of these Easter eggs everywhere. And so I walk into the living room, and I, and I walk in, and I said, Emerson, did you spread these Easter eggs out all over the living room? And she looks at me, and she goes, No. I said, really? You didn't, do, you didn't do this? And she goes, no. I said, then who did it? Did Isaiah do it? And she, she, she said, no. I said, so Isaiah didn't do it. I know I didn't do it. So you're telling me that you didn't do this? No. I, I wasn't even going to ask who did it because like, that just would have went down a path that we didn't want to go down. And so I asked her for the fourth time, did you spread these? And she said, no. And so flat out, Two years old, she's flat out just lying, right? If you've had children, if you have children, you know what this looks like, right? And so at two years old, how does a two-year-old know to not tell the truth? It's not because I, I've done it to her. It's not because her, her mom's done it. It, it it's, it's not for any other reason except that they're wicked little souls, You, th you think that, that six-month-old you got is precious. I'm telling you. They get wicked. They get wicked. All right? And so it's like, it's like how do you know? Like, how, where did you learn this from? You know, it's like, it's like when your, your, your son or your daughter just lays back and, and knocks their sibling out with a right hook. You know? Where do they get that from? Where do they, where do they pick that up from? Because they're sinners, just like I am, just like we are. And if that's not enough, I say this to you guys all the time, but who of us in here are going 10 for 10 on the Ten Commandments? Anybody? Anybody want to say, I got it right here, batting perfect? None of us. None of us are going 10 for 10 on the Ten Commandments, ever. We're adulterers, murderers, idolaters, and we're guilty. So welcome to church. Feeling guilty yet? Yep. Glad you're here. 
thought I was supposed to feel good about church. You see, guilt, guilt is a byproduct of our sin. Guilt is a byproduct of our sin. Guilt, shame, and contrition. And so in Romans chapter 8, we'll actually get to Romans chapter 8 here in just a second. Let me flip over to Romans chapter 7, just the, the chapter right before this. Let me read you a couple of verses. Paul, as he begins to, to lay this out. Romans uh, chapter 7 tells us that, that there is a, a war raging on the inside of us. That it's a, for believers, it, it's, it's, we, we delight in God on the inside, but on the outside, sin at times seems to be winning the war. And this is what Paul lays out for us in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 18. Listen to what he says. And, and see where we identify with this. He says this, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. Anybody? Right here? I'm, I'm there. We, we, we have the desire to do what is right, don't we? we? We want to do what is right. But listen to what he says. He says, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now understand, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, right? This is, this is not just some joker off the street. We're talking about someone that has seen Jesus Christ with his own eyes. And he's saying, I want to do good, but I don't have the ability to do good. I want to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to do what is right. And so every time I want to do right, I end up doing what I don't want to do. Verse 20 says, Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so Paul says, listen, the sin inside of my flesh, inside of my body, is what is leaning me toward this verse 21 he says so i find it to be a law that when i want to do right evil's evil lies close at hand for i delight in the law of god in my inner being but i see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members and so paul paul is saying once again he's saying listen i want to do what is right and I, and I really wish that I could do what is right. But for whatever reason, because of this sin that is within me, I continue to lean to what is not right. I continue to do what I don't want to do. Even though I want to do what I should, what is right, I continue to lean toward what I don't want to do. Is this, does this help explain anything to any of us? It's like, for, for those of you who are believers, and, 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 you, and you ask yourself the question, why can I not get past this sin? Why do I keep doing this thing that I know that I don't want to do, that I know that God has saved me from? Why do I keep wanting to do it? Why am I continuing to be tempted by this sin that I thought that I got rid of when I became a believer? Because you're still a sinner, but as a believer, you're a sinner saved by grace. And there is still a war that is taking place inside of your flesh and inside of your mind. And Paul says, this is why this is. He goes on, verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am. Paul, Paul says that about himself. He says, I'm a wretched man. I'm a joker. I'm a loser. 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Understand that God's law, you see, God set before us, especially like when we look in the Old Testament, we see Moses and Moses, uh, God gives Moses this law. We call it the Mosaic law. You see it in the Old Testament and it's this law that, that God gives them. And, and yet we see the people of Israel continually breaking the law, not getting it right. Why don't they get it right? You see, because understand, I want you to understand this about what God's law, that, that the law that God set out before us is it's impossible to keep. And it was designed to be impossible to keep. Because if it was possible to keep, we would have no need for a Savior. It was designed to make us see that we couldn't keep it and therefore need a Savior. And so grace succeeds where we fail the law. Grace succeeds where you and I fail the law. And we constantly, continually fail the law. You see, some, some of us, if, maybe if you're not a believer, maybe if you are a believer, you kind of look at being a Christian like this, is that, that God gives us these rules that we have to keep. And we have to sort of stay within these rules to be, to be good with God. But I want you to understand that God doesn't give us rules that we have to keep. God gives us boundaries in which we live in order to give us abundant life. And so you either look at, at, at this one of two ways. You look at it as, as rules that you have to keep, and if you don't keep them, then God's not happy with you. Or you look at God's laws and God's commands as boundaries in which we live in order to give us abundant life, like Jesus said, right? What did Jesus say? He said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. And Paul says there's this war. And so when we break one of those rules or when we step outside of those boundaries, then we have what is called guilt. And what guilt does is confirm that we've done something wrong, right? Like when we do something wrong, we, we have uh, sort of some guilt that is, that is inside of us and guilt that we walk with. And so this guilt is a reality and we, we all know what guilt feels like. We all know what guilt feels like. There are, there are times that, that we feel this guilt and when we step outside of those boundaries or depending on the way that you look at it, break one of these rules and we begin to, to feel that guilt. We not only feel guilt, but we begin to feel contrition and when we begin to, to feel shame and then we begin to walk in those things and when we begin to walk in the guilt and the shame and the contrition of, of sin, what happens is, is we say, I can't be what God has set aside for me to be because of my guilt. Because I feel guilty. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you, maybe there's something horrible in your past. And you look at that thing that's in your past. And maybe you know that, that God has forgiven you of that. But yet you still feel the guilt from that. You still feel the shame from that. And so there's a part of you that doesn't want to, to speak up and share your story. Because when you speak up and begin to, to share your story, you're afraid that people are going to look at you and say, You're a Christian? right how do, how does how do you get to stand on the stage and 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 talk about the goodness of god after you did that after you treated them that way after you said that after you did that to your husband after you did that to your wife 
It's guilt. It's shame. And we begin to walk in that, and when we begin to walk in that, God says, here's what I've set aside for you to be, and we say, but here's what guilt is making me be. Guilt is what stops us from serving. It's what stops us from singing. You ever, you ever felt that way? That song comes up, the band's playing that song, you're like, ah, oh, I love that song. I want to sing that song, but oh, last night. Better, better just pipe it down a little bit. I'd love to serve kids. I'd love to work in our kids' ministry. I would love to work in our student ministry. I would love to do that. But I, how can I serve students when I was such a horrible teenager? What do I have to give? And when we start to pray, when we sit down and we say, God, and then we stop right there because then that guilt comes back and that shame comes back. And before the words even get out of our mouths, we start to think about what God is thinking about us and we shut up. But maybe I'll just save that for later. Let's, let's, let's go and clean, let's go clean myself up before, before we start talking about these things. This is the war that takes place inside of us that Paul says that's raging within our flesh and in our minds. And so Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3 basically says we're a bunch of jokers, sinners, Right? And then Romans chapter 4 through Romans chapter 7 starts to begin to, to lay out the effects of this. And then when we get to Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Paul sort of flips the script on this and says, Yes, we are at war. There's a, flesh that's take, there's, there's a war that's taking place inside of our flesh. Yes, we are sinners and here are the effects of our sin. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you, what's the word church? Free. In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, Romans 8, 1 that says, there is therefore now no condemnation. That's something, I don't know about you, but as a believer, that's something that I have to preach to myself constantly. That's something that I, even as a, a pastor, that's something that I preach to myself. And sometimes when it's really good, I take up an offering afterwards. sing a song first second and fourth verse <clears throat> never the third but you you, you gotta as, as a believer you gotta remind yourself of that that there is therefore now no condemnation and so we're going to spend the next several weeks in romans chapter 8 talking about how we are set free by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Understand this. Easter was last week, but the cross is still bloodstained and the tomb is still empty. 
And that's 365 days of the year. And because of that, there is therefore now no condemnation. Not because of how awesome we are, how awesome you think you are, but because of how awesome Christ is and for what he has done on the cross. See, condemnation has already taken place on the cross. That's why we can say that. That's why Paul can write that. Because condemnation took place on the cross. Our sins given to Christ, imputed to him. The, the great exchange that Jesus took himself, gave up himself, and took on our sin in order to give us life. To not be condemned means that the curse has been removed. The curse of guilt. And so, real quick. What are the implications to believers when Paul says there is no condemnation? What the implications of that? Four things really quick. First one is this. No condemnation means that you are forgiven of your sins and healed of its implications. You are forgiven of your sins. Turn over to Mark chapter 2 real quick. Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter 2. There's this story that Jesus tells of these Four men who, who bring this paralytic over to, to be healed to Jesus. And they, they carry him on a mat, right? You, you, you know this story. If you've been in church for a while, you know this story. They, they pick their friend up. He's paralyzed. He can't walk. And they put him on a mat. And they carry him through this huge crowd to Jesus. Listen to Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 6. It says this. And when the sun rose... It, I'm sorry, that was the wrong chapter. Okay, chapter 2. All right, here we go. Verse 6. Now... Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. I love this. So they didn't even speak this out loud. They're they're thinking this. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now remember, they didn't say this out loud. Listen to verse 8. And immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit what they thus questioned within themselves said to them. So again, nobody has said anything. And then all of a sudden, Jesus breaks the silence. He says, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Oh, snap. Jesus, you heard that? Uh Uh-oh. What else did you hear? Verse 9. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, that's important, that word authority, you can underline that, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed, glorifying God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And so no, no condemnation means that you are forgiven of your sins, because Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And not only does Jesus have the authority to forgive sins, but also has the power to heal of its effects. There are effects and consequences to sin. All sin. But Jesus has the authority to forgive those sins and heal us of those effects. That's why marriages that have been broken can be put back together. That's why men and women who have been uh, guilty of adultery can be restored. That's why men and women who are chained to addictions, whether it be substance abuse or codependency or or whatever addiction may be in their life that's why that they can be healed of those things and set free from those things because jesus has the authority to do so 
No condemnation means that you are forgiven. Some of you need to preach that to yourself. That you are forgiven. And that you can be healed. Number two. No condemnation means that it's out of your control. It's out of your control. Be honest. How many of you in here are control freaks? Come on. Get them up. Get them up. That's, That's all right. Confession is good for the soul. Okay, two hands right here. All right. Control freaks, right? Control freaks. A, a lot of us are control freaks. We like to control things. We like to control the outcomes of things as much as possible. And it's, it's not true of, of all of us, but, but some of us are bothered that you can't save yourself. That you have no control over saving yourself because it's not up to you. But yet, we try. We, we go to wells. And we try to alleviate the pain of our guilt. And so we start to do more guilty things instead. We start to, to turn to other wells of life that are going to uh, ultimately, hopefully, relieve us of that. Or we're going to, to cope and, and medicate. We're going to stay busy, physically, mentally. But the truth is, is we cannot control that. Flip over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We're going to do a little flipping here for just a few minutes. John chapter 3. Very familiar piece of scripture that just about everybody knows. If you've been to a football game, you know where we're going. John chapter 3. Jesus is having this uh, conversation with this uh, religious leader by the name of, of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has come to Jesus and, he, and he's, he's come to Jesus with um, uh, questions. He, he comes to Jesus and, and, and Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is going, excuse me? Like, how's that going to happen? Like, am I like crawling back? You know, like, am I going back to mom? Like, how, I, how can you be born again? And Jesus starts to explain to Nicodemus, he's like, okay, so here's the deal. Like, You've got to be born of the Spirit and you've got to be born of water. There has to be a spiritual birth and also a fleshly birth. Nicodemus is sort of having a, a hard time getting this. And so pick it up in verse 9 of John chapter 3. Nicodemus said to him, he said, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, he says, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony." If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about this this time when Moses, this plague went through the, the people of Israel and Jesus told or God told Moses to, to take a serpent, wrap it around a pole, and to hold it up in the air, and that everyone who would look upon that being lifted up would be healed. And Jesus is comparing what's about to happen to him when he is crucified to the same thing. Verse 16. We all know this one, don't we? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Who gave? God gave, right? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For who? God 
did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, real quick disclaimer. For there is thou no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer, you are not condemned. If you are not a believer, you are still under condemnation. We'll talk about that in a second. So what does it mean by when Jesus says this? He says, who gives? God gives. Not us. God gave. Right? That's what, that's what Romans 8.3 says. Right? It says that, that Paul writes this. He says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. He says, so basically, God has done what you cannot do. Saved you. It's not up to ourselves to rid ourselves of condemnation. That should be liberating for some of us. Right? That should be liberating. Number three. Number two is no condemnation means it's out of your control. Number three. No condemnation means that you are accepted just as you are. One more story. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 7. This woman is brought before Jesus who is caught in adultery. And the religious leaders bring her before Jesus and put her before Jesus and says, Jesus, the law says that because she has been caught in adultery, she must be put to death. She must be stoned here on the spot. Now, interesting fact here that the law said that both people who were committing the adulterous act had to be put to death. But yet, the religious leaders only brought the woman in front of Jesus. They didn't bring the man. But yet, here's the woman. Listen to verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote in the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing before him. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go, and from now on, sin no more. See, Jesus was the only one there without sin. And so if anybody was going to pick up a stone and throw it, it was going to be him. But yet, he said, you are not condemned by me. And so the only one with the authority to condemn, he doesn't. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. And so he is accepting her as she is. But understand this. He didn't leave her as she was. You see, grace accepts us as we are, but grace doesn't leave us where we are. Grace doesn't just love us as we are. It loves us enough to not leave us where we are. And this is what Jesus does with this woman. He says, I don't condemn you. I accept you. I bring you in. I love you. But now go and sin no more. Jesus didn't accept her sin and say it's okay. You don't die for things that are okay. So if we don't feel guilt over our sin, I would question if we're believers. 
There should be a guilt that comes there. But that guilt, here's the thing. It's like, yeah, but I thought we're talking about being set free from this guilt. We don't stay in that guilt because it leads us to repentance. Guilt of sin leads us to repentance. Not guilt of being caught, but guilt of sinning against Jesus. And so finally, last one, no condemnation. Number four. Number three was that no condemnation means that you are accepted just as you are. Number four, no condemnation means that you are free. You are free. Last night, my son, he's five, he uh, went to one of his best friend's birthday parties last night. And it was a camp out. It was a, it was a men's, boys camp out. And so uh, I camped out last night. So this morning I was sleeping in a tent at 6.30 this morning. So if I'm a little groggy, I apologize. But last night we go over there and there's him and his friend and, and their buddies and stuff. And there's this huge field. And we got these tents set up. And we got these fires set up. And so for like the next several hours, my son and all of his friends are running around this field. It looked like a scene from the Lord of the Flies, right? There's just these boys like I was just waiting for shirts to come off, right? And they started, hoo, hoo, you know, like walking down through the, but they, they were just running around and they were eating marshmallows and, and chunking down chocolate bars and having s'mores and they were just, you know what? They were free. Nobody telling them to be quiet. Nobody telling them to sit down. Nobody telling them what to do. We just let them go and do what they wanted to do. They were free. And the only one that has authority to condemn sin in this woman that we read here, he sets her free. And not long after this, Jesus takes the wrath that was saved up for this woman. And all of us, like her, And he takes it on the chin from God on the cross. So that you and I can be set free. Romans 8 again. As we close. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you what? Free. In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God is done with the law weakened by the flesh. Could not do you are free because of his blood you are free again this is a promise for believers there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if you're not a believer unfortunately condemnation is still on you 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 are condemned but Ephesians 2 like we talked about last week on Easter Sunday, Ephesians 2 says that, that we were once spiritually dead. We were once dead in our trespasses. But God, being rich in mercy, gave his life up for us, for you, so that you, even though you might be condemned now, can be, should be, would be set free of the law of sin and death. Ephesians 2 says that we have been made alive. And so before Christ, we are spiritually dead. When Christ enters into our lives, when we accept him as Savior, we are made alive. And so you too can be set free as you give your life to Christ. Let's pray. Father, 
God, you have been so good to us by giving us your son to give up his life so that we would not be under condemnation, so that we would be set free from guilt, so that we would be set free from shame, that we would be set free from sins that we continue to to wage war with in our flesh. God, let us claim that there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in you. Father, for those of us who have never given our lives to you, let us be bold. Let us ask you into our lives. Let us ask you to forgive us of our sins. If that's you, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer or, or you kind of just follow Jesus from a distance and you're just kind of like, ah, I don't know. I just, listen, I just, I can't emphasize this enough. Right now, in this moment, where you sit to just say, Jesus, save me. Free me. Give me life. To ask Jesus into your heart. To simply just pray in your own words, in your mind, with your lips, with your heart, Jesus, save me. You can be set free. If you're a believer this morning, you have been set free. There is no condemnation now for you. Rejoice in no condemnation. And, and every time the devil starts to, to draw you back to what previous, previously enslaved you, preach Romans 8.1 to yourself and, and just declare freedom. Stop walking in guilt. Stop walking in shame. Because every time you do that, you give the devil another bullet for his gun and he doesn't need any more ammo. And so today, now, claim there is therefore now no condemnation for you. And let's rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen.